Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Wonderful Women of Golf. I'm Rick Wolfel. Devin Carroll is committed to enhancing the status of women in the turf industry. She's already carved out a niche in that industry herself. A native of upstate Pennsylvania near Scranton, Carroll holds two degrees from Penn State, a bachelor's degree in turf grass and a master's in agronomy. She's currently working on a doctorate at Tennessee in turf grass weed science. Since arriving in Knoxville, Carol has acquired a second master's degree as well in agricultural leadership with a focus on opportunities for women in the turf industry. On this edition of Wonderful Women of Golf, Devin Carroll talks about creating opportunities for other women to follow in her footsteps. We're delighted and honored to have her as our guest. Devin, welcome to Wonderful Women of Golf. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I know your schedule is extraordinarily busy, so we appreciate your making the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. What was it that first got you interested in golf? I know growing up in the Scranton area, you played golf with your father. So why don't uh, we start from there and have you tell your story about how you got fascinated uh, with golf? Yeah, I mean, like a lot of kids with, you know, being a daughter, sometimes it's kind of hard for, I think, fathers to connect. So my dad is a teacher and he had the summers off. So he just, you know, tried to get me out on the course with him to spend some quality time together. And I really loved it. I also, I had asthma as a kid, so it was kind of hard for me to play some of the other team sports. So just fell in love with being on the golf course. And it was something that um, I was able to do well at with uh, medical conditions as well. Is that where you first became intrigued with the whole subject of turf and grasses and all of that? Not really. Like most people, I kind of have an interesting story for that. Um, so I played golf in high school on my high school's team, and I was one of those students. I had no idea what I wanted to do in college, but I knew I did not want a desk job. And so my cousin's a golf course superintendent, and he kind of pulled me aside and was like, look, you you love the golf course. I was working at two different golf courses on the shop side. So he said, you know, why don't you go be a golf course superintendent and something that had not really crossed my mind before, but he went to Penn state for turf. And I thought, you know what, he loves his job and every day is really unique and exciting for him. So I'd probably like it too. And just, that's how I got into it. You were fortunate that Penn state was relatively close by one of the finest turf grass schools in the world. So you had access uh, to all of that. Oh yeah, I was so lucky. It's only two and a half hours from home. So it was great because, you know, I kind of got the experience of leaving my hometown, but at the same time was, you know, pretty close to family and able to visit home. And it was really great to have the Penn State experience. Now, when you were an undergrad, who were the people that inspired you or encouraged your interest in turf science? Um, so I had a couple great mentors as an undergrad. Um, so Dr. McNitt at Penn State teaches the intro to turf class. And I remember taking class with him and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to keep turf as my major, but he just made turf so fun and exciting. And he um, helped me get a job with the State College Spikes to kind of get my feet wet in turf and set up um, a shadowing visit with Nicole Sherry with the um, Baltimore Orioles. And he really just fostered that interest for me. And also um, Dr. John Kaminsky kind of took me under his wing in a research capacity and really got me excited in that side of turf grass. We should mention the State College Spikes are a minor league baseball team. And Dr. Kaminsky and I have worked together on some things for golf course industry, a tr truly remarkable individual in the opinion of everybody except himself. 
somebody who has had a tremendous influence on a lot of people uh, in the uh, turf industry. Thanks for bringing his name uh, to everyone's attention. Now, your undergraduate degree was in turf grass science. What made you decide you wanted to continue your education? And you've been going in a lot of things ever since, and we'll get to those. Yeah, I'm a perpetual student. Um, but like I said, you know, Dr. Kaminsky, um, he took me on as an undergraduate researcher, and it was really cool. Um, he helped me win a grant to actually do my own research project. Um, so I was looking at creeping bentgrass germination um, to help superintendents who may have experienced winter kill. And the project was going really well. So he just kind of explained to me what graduate school is and how the finances of that work. And he told me, you know, I could stay on in his lab and pursue a master's degree. And that sounded really cool. So I figured, you know, why not? And it's been a really great experience since then to be able to do research that I feel like is helping superintendents and helping the industry. So your master's at Penn State was in agronomy. How did you wind up at the University of Tennessee where you are now? Yeah, so my master's was, um, it's technically called agronomy, but I mean, really, it's turf grass. I was still studying turf. Um, so as I moved through that, I did a side project in weed science, and I found out that weed science specifically was just something that I really enjoyed. So for my PhD, I knew I wanted to do a weed science project, and I also thought it'd be good to move south and just get some experience with, you know, um, warm season grasses and uh, Dr. Jim Brosnan at the University of Tennessee is a really highly regarded weed scientist, and he happened to have funding for the period that I wanted to start my degree, so it worked out really well for me. And you're working on your doctorate now. You hope to have that completed by 2022, I believe? Yeah, um, I'm about two years in, so hopefully another year or so, maybe uh, next spring or summer I'll be wrapped up. All right, which leads us into the heart of this discussion today. While you were, are working on your doctorate, you also earned a second master's degree. How you did that and the dedication it took to do that uh, really imp impresses and uh, amazes me. Oh, but it's just a that. master's in agricultural leadership, education, and communications. And the focus of that was looking at opportunities for women in the turf industry, and I will let you expound on this for as long as you would like on what pulled you in that direction. Yeah, so when I got to the University of Tennessee, I took an agricultural leadership class as an elective, and I really just loved it. Um, the class was called Women in Leadership, and the professor, Dr. Carrie Stevens, her research area is actually women in leadership in agriculture. So she was teaching us in this class about how women in other industries other agricultural industries, you know, how they're overcoming barriers and kind of making it more normal for women to be in leadership roles. So it just kind of clicked for me in her class, like they're doing research in other crops, we should, we should do this in turf. So I approached her with my research idea and we worked it out for me to be able to get this second master's. So I did a project, I interviewed 13 different uh, female leaders in the turf grass industry. They're from three different countries, um, including nine U.S. states and three Canadian provinces, and interviewed each of them individually to kind of learn their stories about how they got into turf. And we talked about what kind of barriers they face, but also what kind of opportunities they see for women. So hopefully we can just do a better job of informing the industry about how to recruit women and, you know, make them feel more accepted and welcome. We'll get to that in a moment. First, I'm going to throw out <clears throat> a couple of numbers here, and these are from 2019, that uh, the membership of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America, the GCSAA, 
uh, was just 1.57% female, and of the membership that are actually superintendents, it's less than 1%. It's about three quarters of a yeah. percent. And I assume you've seen those numbers too. Let's start with the concept of women having opportunities or being attracted to the profession because I would imagine that a lot of women look at the profession, see there aren't many women in it and think, well, maybe I want to go another direction with my education or skills or interests. So we'll let sure, you jump off from there. I think that's the biggest part of it. I just think visibility is really important. I remember when I worked, I worked for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, which is the uh, AAA affiliate of the New York Yankees. And I was the first female that they ever had on the grounds crew. And they just thought it was really great because you have me out there, you know, working on the infield skin when we've got 3000 fans in the stands. And it's just important, I think, for the little girls who are sitting there or the high schoolers about to make their college career that they see a female out on the field and, you know, it seems normal to them and something that they can do. So I'm excited that, you know, although women in turf are low in number, we are kind of growing a little bit. And I just think the more that people are exposed to seeing females out on the course or out on the field, it'll just help everyone. Did you find that there was a reluctance in the industry uh, to recruit women for positions or not an active effort to go out and make women aware that, that these opportunities are available to them? Because I think for a lot of years, people were thinking, well, this is a male profession. Just in my experience, I mean, I wouldn't say that there's a reluctance. I've personally felt very accepted in all of the different roles that I've held, but I do think we could do a better job of actively recruiting women. One of the things that I've learned in my research and talk about, you know, we're facing a, a labor shortage. If you ask superintendents, you know, what are their biggest problems right now? It's labor. And I just think we're not tapping into half of the labor, you know, population. We need to do a better job of recruiting women because right now that's an underutilized demographic. In terms of the opportunities that are there, they are are so varied. If you if you want to be a superintendent, if you want to go in the direction that you have studying uh, turf science, there are a lot a lot of opportunities there. What kind of steps would you like to see taken to actively recruit more women into the profession? As you mentioned, those. Efforts have increased, and you've got people, I'm thinking someone like Jennifer Torres, who guested on this series uh, not mm -hmm. too long ago, and has been very vocal about the profession and uh, the road that she took. She went to Rutgers. I don't know if it's possible to mention a Penn State person, oh, like, a Rutgers <laughs> person on the same <laughs> podcast, but we'll find out soon enough. But Jennifer's been wonderful in that. In that oh, yeah, she's regard. amazing. What kind of steps would you like to see taken or what things would you like to see happen that make women more aware women maybe or maybe a little younger than you say high school age or entering college sure. about the opportunities that are there well there's two things really so you already hit on hit the nail on the head on one of them the first thing is that i think we need to be talking to students um we need to be talking to them early um you know a lot of students choose sophomore junior year what direction that they want to head um in college so if we're talking to them their senior year we're probably too late i think we really need to start fostering that idea with students you know maybe in middle school or early high school through ag programs and i don't think that that's gender specific i think you know for men or women just as far as recruitment in general we really need to be getting in front of students trying to go to career fairs explaining to them the benefits of turf as early as possible 
Um, as far as recruiting women specifically, um, I think mentorship is really a big piece of this. And you may be familiar on Twitter, um, Morgan Cretan up in Canada has done a great job starting the Women in Turf Grass Management Mentorship Program. So she pairs interested students, interested female students, um, with women working on the industry to just create these relationships and help them get opportunities as they move through school. And she's also talked about how she does a little bit of a shadowing program. So if there's students that she meets when she talks at high schools who are interested in turf, she invites them to come out to the golf course and ride around with her for a day or a week or whatever to just kind of expose them to what the job is like. And I think if we can create more of those programs and more of those opportunities that that would really help. Particularly professional like that when getting that hands-on experience or just getting a sense of what the job is actually like, I think is so, so important. Uh, we've spoken uh, with Dr. Doug Lindy at Delaware Valley University about this, who is a Penn State guy and started the turf program at DelVal. And uh, their entire educational program there is, is very hands-on. But I think in this particular profession, it's just so, so important to get out uh, whether it's a shadow program, a mentoring program, and just get a sense of what the job is really about day to day. Yeah, absolutely. You know, see some beautiful scenery on the golf course, soak up some sun, and just see all of the different interesting things that superintendents or field managers do in a day is probably really exciting to high school students who are used to sitting at a desk for eight hours. When you're doctorate studies are finished, what would you like to do with that education? Do you have any idea? You're, you've done so much and your professional career really hasn't started yet. Uh, what would you like to do with your education and your experience uh, once you finish your doctorate? Yeah, it's a little overwhelming. I'm still not sure I know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I'm probably leaning more towards an industry job. Um, of course, I kind of have a passion here for communications, especially with getting that master's degree in communications. So kind of interested in a science communications job or research, but really whatever I want to do, I just want to know that I'm making an impact on the industry and trying to help superintendents and field managers with their um, decision making, you know, giving them the most accurate and up-to-date information that we can to make their jobs easier while being environmentally friendly. So I think there will be a lot of opportunities to make that happen. Well, I've got news for you. You've had uh, quite an impact already with what you've been doing uh, at Tennessee and what you have been doing as far as uh, looking to create additional opportunities uh, for women. Let's talk for a second and go in a different direction about uh, what you found in your studies of uh, turf grass. What were you focusing on there? So in my master's degree, I continued that work that was looking at creeping bentgrass germination, um, trying to determine after winter kill and early spring when golf course superintendents are reseeding, um, if certain cultivars have better ability to germinate in the cool spring temperatures than others. So that was exciting because the golf course I interned at, um, the Country Club of Scranton in my undergrad, they had a really bad um, winter kill season. So it just kind of paired up really well for my research that I felt like, you know, my findings could help people that I knew um, recover from winter kill. Here at Tennessee, I'm uh, trying to understand better the biology of Poa annua, annual bluegrass. Um, as the name implies, uh, it's perceived to be an annual weed, but we're finding out more and more that we think it's perhaps more of a perennial species that dies under certain environmental conditions. So I'm trying to explore which um, 
environments cause the plant to live or die, and that'll have a big impact, I think, on management strategy. Of course, superintendents have varying opinions about uh, POA regards, depending oh. on what part of the country. Is it a week or a That's a great understatement, but um, virtually every superintendent has to deal with POA at some point, and sometimes it's out of, that's what they would prefer, sometimes it's not, but... Uh, well, that's why I think uh, this research is important. If we understand the environment that helps the plant live or die, I mean, if you're managing it as a desirable, that can help you keep the plant healthy. Or if you're managing it as a weed, you know, maybe you can change your irrigation or mowing height or whatnot and try to knock it out non-chemically. In terms of today's turf grasses, what kinds of trends are you seeing? I'm thinking species that are that stand up better to extreme environmental conditions and, and that kind of thing. That's, that's important nowadays too, that the turf holds up in temperature extremes or weather extremes or whatever. Yeah, that's always a big deal. And especially with, you know, um, climate change uncertainty, I think that's something that's kind of at the forefront of turf grass research. It's been an interesting experience for me in the South here to just see, you know, the resiliency of Bermuda grass. Um, the ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses are becoming increasingly popular here on putting greens. Um, then I know breeding programs up north too are really focused on trying to assess temperature tolerance. I believe um, Penn State just released a new bent grass cultivar called um, Pure Eclipse that's supposed to be bred for heat tolerance. So it'd be interesting to follow um, how that does now that it's on the market. That's so, so important uh, in this part of the country because of the, the temperature extremes that uh, superintendents have to, to deal with. All right. Talking about uh, networking, the opportunities that women have to network with each other, that any superintendents have to network with each other are so, so important. Um, you've had the chance to be at Augusta National for the Masters on several occasions, and We'll tell our audience that you, the folks at Augusta National, would prefer you not discuss exactly what you were doing. But the opportunities to network with other professionals, male and female alike, and it's typical at any uh, tour event or major championship for outside superintendents to come in. Those networking opportunities, particularly for someone just at the start of her career as you are, that's got to be an amazing experience. Oh, it's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you're there with 150 of some of the top superintendents or sales representatives or, you know, whatever their um, occupation is. And we spend a lot of time together talking, you know, I've made some great friends, people I stay in touch with, um, you know, helping on different research projects. I was struggling a little bit to develop my research project and I called up some of the superintendents I met at Augusta National and just, you know, kind of picked their brains about what they needed help with and the direction they thought I can go. And it's just really great to have expanded my network, you know, so much from being there. That's one of the things that we always like to talk about regarding the profession that people are so willing to assist and help each other, whether it's another superintendent, whether uh, it's a doctoral student as you are, whether it's someone like me in the media that's writing about all of this. Uh, it's just an amazingly helpful group of people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that people are really what make this industry so special and the reason so many of us do it. It's, it can be a very demanding job taking care of turf, but, you know, the people we see at these conferences and interact with on Twitter or whatnot are really what make it all worth it at the end of the day. 
All right. Uh, we're going to let you give a little recruiting pitch here. If you were going to talk to a group of high school students and say they're sophomores in high school, sophomores or juniors, sure. what suggestions or what input would you give them to consider the turf industry as a profession, whether male or female? Sure. Um, well, the first thing I would tell them, if you're outdoorsy at all, if you, if you play sports, if you like hunting, if you just like something that's not at a desk, I think turf is probably the job for you. But I also try to tell people, I mean, right now the industry really needs labor. I mean, it's, it's a 100% job placement for any student that gets a turf grass degree. And you can look up the numbers on GCSAA's website about approximately what um, the salaries of assistant superintendents and superintendents are making. So it's a really smart financial decision, I think, for students to go to school for turf. I have some friends in you know, the business school at Penn State and they're competing for internships and disappointed if they don't get them. And meanwhile at Penn State, I mean, I had my choice of eight or nine different internships about you know, where in the country do I wanna to go to intern? So I would tell students, I mean, there's just opportunity abound. You can pick a country, pick a state, wherever you want. You can go get an internship there. You'll have a job straight out of school making um, money far above the national average for college graduates and every day is variable i mean if you talk to a superintendent i haven't met one who doesn't love their job you know every day is something different for them and they're outside in beautiful settings and helping other people enjoy green space so there's a lot of great things to consider looking say 10 15 years down the road what would you like to see the landscape look like in terms of job opportunities for women uh, more women in head superintendents roles, whatever. What is your vision for down the road? Um, that's kind of hard to say. I mean, it's what I want to see more, I should say, I want to say more people find their joy in turf. I mean, whether that be males or females or what have you, um, I just want to see more people rise to the top and be happy in what they do. So I don't know that we'll ever get to a point where it's, you know, 50% women and 50% men in the industry. That's probably not realistic. Um, but as you've mentioned, you know, right now, only about 1% of superintendents are female. Um, you know, I think a realistic goal maybe is to get that number up to 5%, say. I think we could just do a better job of helping women get in the industry. And I think there's also a lot more we could do to try to keep them happy um, and help them get promoted up through assistant and full superintendent because there's quite a few women who are trying to start a family or whatnot, and maybe they don't quite make it to the top. So we just need to provide some extra support there. In terms of, you mentioned people that really have a love for their job, and you're right, superintendents just have a passion for what they do. And I've always felt that whatever professional path anyone takes, it's important to find something they have a passion for and maybe go that route over something that might pay them a little better. And I think it's particularly important uh, in something like the turf industry. But can you describe to somebody what that passion feels like? I mean, you have it, and I've spoken with so many other people that have, but can you convey that uh, to our audience, who probably knows what you're, who don't know what you're talking about, but just what it feels like to be involved in something in your case, uh, working on your doctorate that you love and have a passion for. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to put it into words, but for me, the biggest thing, I just really enjoy being able to step back at the end of the day and just physically see what I've done. And I think that's part of why turf is so rewarding. I mean, 
you're out there mowing or fixing irrigation or what have you. And I mean, you stand up and you've got dirt on your hands, but you've done something. Um, and it's also really gratifying when I worked in baseball, you know, to see all the happy fans up there with their families, drinking beers, cheering. And, you know, we were able to provide that joy for other people. So it just really makes me happy to see others enjoying the outdoors and enjoying time with each other. Did you ever think about uh, going the baseball route and getting on a big league grounds crew somewhere? Or, or oh, I did. Where you wanted to go? When I, when I first started at Penn State, I was dead set on being a golf course superintendent. That's what my cousin did, and it just sounded great. And then um, after my two internships and spending some time with Nicole at the Orioles, I shifted gears and wanted to do baseball and then ended up in Dr. Kaminsky's lab and shifted gears again to research. So that's another thing I tell people. I mean, there's just so many avenues in turf, and I find all of them exciting for me. It was really hard to choose which one to go after, but... There's a lot of opportunity. You just need to figure out which one's the right fit for you. All right, Devin, we appreciate you spending uh, some time with us. And uh, thanks from the industry for all that you do and continued uh, best wishes for your success. Oh, thank you so much. It was great to be here.